So today our topic is mountains. And in order to get you thinking about the physicality of mountains, I brought in some of my favorite rocks. Um, oh, I would have brought my rock collection too. I have a huge rock collection. And I just blanked on what this is. It's um, it's glass essentially. This is basalt. Is it basalt? No, it'll come to me. I, I had it this morning in my head. Um, so when you know mountains are basically the the earth throwing up what's inside the earth, and um, these are uh, different kinds of rocks. There are some Herkimer diamonds, they're called. They're crystals. Another man. And then that's Sam. <laughs> Meet Philip. And we have. Did they let um, you in here? This is a rock with, that has real gold in it. Actually, you can see the sparkle of the gold. My friend Mark was a gold miner and shared that with me. So, anyway, pass these around. Feel them, feel the weight of them, and think about that as we. Study mountains today. What do we study? All right. Mountains. We're going to watch a short video for a minute or two. We're not going to watch the whole thing. Um, this is a band called. I just want you to get the energy from this. This is a group called Yemen Blues. Yeah, they're, they're spread out all over. So I'll the lyrics 
The mountains that you dance like um, like um, like yes, like like uh, gazelles, okay? And the and the hills like uh, flocks of sheep, if you will. So this is a quote from Psalms from Tehillim. It's in the Hallel. Okay. Um, good morning. Um, uh, it's in the Hallel. It's one of the Psalms, and um, I we talk briefly about the use of landscape sometimes just in terms of metaphor. Um, and poetic metaphor and the power of the landscape in much of Hebrew literature. But I also really want to show this because this is Yemen Blues. They, I saw actually we saw them at uh, the Old Town uh, School. So I think it's always good to be reminded of what an incredible um, infusion of creativity and inspiration, uh, biblical passages and these metaphors that have been kind of codified or concretized in our <coughs> liturgy and in our texts continue to inspire a tremendous amount of contemporary Israeli culture. Is this guy, he's Yemenite, and you can see what the hand motions they were doing, he's from Yemen, but he also has this very interesting blend of blues and Yemen music, and they're quite a talented group. And um, it's just, so I just wanted to share that, Yemen blues, if you want to listen to their music. They have a couple albums, I'm not selling them on commission. But mountains will dance, mountains will dance, and I just love the way the energy of the, the if you can pick up from the music, you just feel mountains are dancing with that kind of um, percussion and that sound. So since we're not talking a lot about music as an art forms, um, but um, it's definitely um, brings together what the words are talking about and the music as well. So I hope you like that. Um, you can dance to it. Introduce you. You can, I'll tell your kids or young people, like, I, 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 do you know about this really hip Israeli band, Yemen Blues? I bet you've never heard of them before because they probably haven't either. So you can wow all your friends under the age of 30. Well, I want to welcome Sam back to class. Um, it's nice to see you. Um, Nessia brought a painting, a picture to show, and we'll do that in a little while. Um, apropos to some of the things we've been talking about. Um, good morning. <clears throat> what we're, we're heading on to mountains today. Um, we have way more t biblical texts than we could possibly read today, so some of them I may just let you know what they're, what's going on in them. If we had a longer period of time, and, and we might want to do chavrut on these texts, but um, and break up and have everybody look at a couple. Um, but mm, we might, but I, I wanted to make sure that you had a list of what I think are some of the important places where mountains are mentioned in the Torah. Not surprising because of the geography of the land of Israel. There are many, many places where mountains appear. These are just a few. Um, <clears throat> but briefly, to just go back over the learning journal from last week, we talked about fields as places of prayer, Okay, places where chesed happens, planting fields. Isaac wandered around in the field near the, well, near the well. He's praying, and that's where Rebecca encounters him. The fields of Moab okay, are the place where Naomi and Ruth and Orpah meet, and then coming back to the fields is where Ruth meets up with Boaz and is redeemed. That notion of chesed in fields and growing, the human interactions, I think is an important, that fields and growing and nourishing and redemption Fields growing, nourishing, and redemption. Not redemption in some, you know, Mashiach is coming in some future time, but that's very much bound up in the land of Israel in the agricultural setting of growing and feeding. 
That's where redemption often happens in the Torah, right in the landscape. Wells can be places to find a wife, but also places that show strong women, strength of character. Rebecca's, her, how she's running back and forth to schlep these pails of water. Um, we talked about the note in the Torah truck. Well, that was just, that was a fun piece. But, but the most important thing I want people to remember about wells, be'er, has the word be'er to express, almost be'or with light inside. Wells are a very important metaphor moving forward um, in Jewish thought. We looked at a Hasidic text about wells are places that collect, contain, preserve. They're fashioned by human beings, but they're preserved. They are receptacles of living forces of water that may be underground source, but that they hold on to them. There are also things that get covered. So by uncovering the well, and Jacob is the most important character in the Torah, who uncovers the well when he meets so, just, we didn't read that passage, when he sees Rachel, he's so overcome with love for her and passion for her that he removes the, the top of the well. Okay, so they're removing and making an effort to roll the stone off to draw the water out becomes a metaphor that from inner wisdom, inner creativity, as Phil said the first week, inner vision, inner vitality, that water represents that, and wells become that container for many different things. Now we're going to move on to mountains, and one of the things that one of my colleagues at Arod often talks about is there's two kinds of Torah. There are Hasidic teachings. There's Torah from the mountain, and there's Torah from the well. Torah from the well is the kind we've been talking about that's inside, but there's also Torah on the mountain, that Torah that comes down. So we're going to look up to the mountains a little bit today. Um, and as I looked over some of these, I was walking with my husband talking about, okay, think, what are all the different mountains you can think of? So we were like listing them. This is something you do on a nice summer night, right? You know? And um, some really interesting patterns came out. So um, let's jump in. Let's start with Genesis 22. <clears throat> there are a couple... What, when I say mountains to you in the Torah, which ones come to mind, first of all? Sinai. What else? Moses. Moses. Moses is the big, biggest mountain climber in Jewish history, right? Okay, good. Uh, Moriah, which is one we're going to look at. Nebo. Nebo. All right, good. So you guys have got the list already. So we're going to look at a few of these. Um, Genesis 22. We could do a class just on the names of the Parshas. That's if all we did was look at the names of the Parshas. So chapter 22, skip ahead. We're going to look at, uh, actually right at the beginning, line three. Early in the morning, God tells him, some af- sometime afterward, God put Avraham to the test. Hashem nisad Avraham. Nisa is an interesting word. Nisa means to test, it also means a miracle. Nes gadol hayasham. It also means a standard bearer. When you talk about a nes in the book of Numbers, it means the sort of flag, the, the marked space, the flag that people would mark, walk behind, the benchmark, or the stand, really the standard. So the word nes is a really interesting Hebrew word, right? Nesia, right? So what your name is from? Spelled differently. Yeah. No, 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 it's right, but it came from 
just uh, some Russian words. From Russian words, well. But my parents decided to Hebrewize it, like Batya, Nesya. Nesya, you have Ness in your name, though, so. <coughs> they felt it, when you were born, it was miraculous to but them. But it was very difficult to grow up with it, because every time I met somebody, they said, what happened to your parents? What was the miracle? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, uh, oh, that's good. So I came here, and I was so happy. People don't understand the miracle. Well, <laughs> can we just say, we outed you this morning. Your name is miraculous. You have to live with it being, being, considered, being considered a miracle by your parents. Don't all parent, Jewish parents think their child is a miracle? I mean, that's like. It's no a great opportunity to Grandparents, make stuff for up. sure, right now. <laughs> God says, Abraham says, Okay. And he says, Take your son, the only one. Okay. Look at that. We had when we looked at Haaretz Asher Reka, when we first meet Abraham. Go forth to this landscape, to this Aretz that I'm going to show you. So that lech lecha in some ways in the text is a little bit of an indication that Abraham's about to meet up with another landscape that God is directing him towards that's going to be an important landscape for his life, for his formation, for everything about him. Okay. And he seems to recognize this when he says, Hineni, it's not here I am, but Hine, here I am in this place, ready to accept a mission. And pretty much any time the word hineni like that appears in the Torah, it's a person who somehow, without any other, seems to, saying anything, seems to intuit that there's a mission being asked of them. Hineni. Here I am in this place, dot, 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 ready to do what is asked of me. Ready to encounter what is about to come. I guess I would like that better than ready to do whatever you tell me. Ready to encounter what comes next. Hineni. It's kind of nice. You could... You could do Natilat Yadayim and then look and stand in front of an empty campus, uh, campus and just go Hineni. I love that. <laughs> see what happens. Or let's okay. just look at those rocks and see Hineni. <laughs> Great. I don't know. <clears throat> okay. So where does God tell him? Lech lecha el Eretz To the landscape of Moriah. Moriah. Now Moriah has an interesting, interesting word because Moriah, the rabbis play with this, has the word ro'eh, sight, inside of it. It has the word yirah, Fear inside of it, just the sounds of the letters, the homophones, seeing, vision, fear, awe, el eretz, so the, the landscape of vision and awe, the ha'alehu sham la'ola, okay, <clears throat> and take up, and that's one that, that I'm going to show you, sham la'ola, <clears throat> um, and go take ha'alehu sham ola, and then take up with you an ola, an offering, and it's not like an offering, it's something that you lift up. There's all this up language. Okay, go to this landscape that's up. That's a mountain, and offer up something. Alachad heharim asher amarlecha. On one of the mountains that I'm amarlecha, that I'm going to tell you about, I'm going to show you. Okay. So Moriah is this very interesting landscape place. First, it's called this place of vision, and second, it's identified as one of these mountains. It doesn't say har ha-Moriah. It says Eretz Moriah, go to the landscape of vision. And then it gets identified as a mountain of Moriah. Okay. So it's kind of, uh, it's, there's, cert, there's a certain kind of ambiguity. I almost think of like poor Marla with her glasses. Like <laughs> Abraham is, it, is saying, it's like all of a sudden God is saying you're going to be going into this landscape. And then God puts the lenses on, look up to this mountain in some way. As the sentences are drawn out. The focus of where Abraham to go is to go in order to have this experience becomes more and more into focus. 
And then we hear he saddles his ass, he takes his servants and his son Isaac, splits the wood, sets out for the makom. Now, and um, uh, Rosh Hashanah, that's where the Torah reading it. That's where the Aliyah ends. Um, so if you listen to it, um, it's, it's really very good. This, this, is, um, this Torah reading is read twice during the year, once when it comes up in the Genesis cycle, and it's also the second day of Rosh Hashanah. <clears throat> because a shofar appears. Thank you. <clears throat> um, on the third day... On the third day, he lifts up his eyes, Vayisa Avraham et Enav. So we have all kinds of places in the Torah. Esa Enai El Heharim, Meayin, Meayin, Yavo Esri. That's in the Psalms. I lift up my eyes to the mountains, Yavo Esri, whence cometh my help. That's how was the prayer book I grew up in. Okay. So the lifting up, lifting up of the eyes is the physical gesture that is some kind of human response to the landscape. When you see a mountain, you don't, you, know, you may, okay, you may be looking for the rocks at the bottom, but our other inclination as human beings is to, what's that all about? Let me look up. What is it that we're doing? We're taking in the landscape. We have to, when you look up, when you look up and you see a mountain, what's that like? Awe. Awe, yira, what else? Yeah, cognitive psychologists talk about that. If you, yeah, yeah, yes, when people look up, yeah. I know as a teacher, when I see somebody look down and look up, I always will state, like, what's going on. It's like a trigger for me to notice what's going on. Okay. Right, so triggers memory and thought. Nice. What else? How many of you have been in Colorado and start driving? What's, yeah. yeah. You lift up. <coughs> Your spirit lifts up. Everything you can't about feel it. down when you look up. Yeah. You become more expensive, and what's before your eyes is, it, it's pretty, you, your eye can't really take it in, can it? If you take it, you've been biking. Did you bike through any mountains? You were in Pennsylvania. We tried to avoid them. That was smart. <laughs> <laughs> but we did see a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something about, I mean, a well, you can all imagine, a, you can walk up to a well, you can walk around a well. You can see a field, you can kind of see where it begins to end. There is something um, the eye cannot measure or really take the full depth exactly or height. The point, I think when you're in the mountains, like in Colorado or in the Rockies uh, in Canada, yeah. it's, uh, it's overpowering. And, um, yeah. and even in New Mexico, you, you go in there, it's absolutely overpowering. Yeah. It's not, well, as a photographer, there have been times when I just said I'm not photographing because there's some things you look at but don't photograph and uh -huh. paint. And I think that's... Yeah. Uh, what about it makes you think you can't photograph it? So. I don't know. It just seems to... There seems to be the sort of pristine quality almost... I, I don't really... I'm a bit skeptical about that, but there's a sense of spirituality which you can't identify. You know, skepticism and spirituality can sit very happily together. Uh, I just, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> they can, they can. So, yeah. Put this into words. There, there's a difference in 
Oh yeah. Down yeah. I think a big part of it is the sense of human scale. Because when you're near a well, it's scaled for a human being, but when you're amidst the mountains, you feel like a speck. And there's I don't think anything except maybe looking at clouds, except you don't get a sense of scale from them. But there's nothing in life that gives you a sense of your own insignificance like being in the mountains or being in the desert. Desert too, yeah. Yeah. I also think, yeah, Arlen, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, there are some things. Golden waves of grain, I can yeah. hear that. I've heard oh. that from other people, too, that they're, they're anxious in the mountains. Yeah. Well, some of it is you, your depth perception. You can't well, tell. You could probably look at a field and go, like, okay, that's a four-mile walk. It's still Maybe. All right. Your depth perception of how close mountains are to one another and how far you have to go, Ben, what you're going to say. Yeah. I guess I don't feel like they welcome me in the way that I feel like a field is saying, come on, come on in and feel the dreams. I feel like a mountain is sort of imposing and saying, Brenda, what were you going to say? Yeah, yeah. Along the same lines, I was driving to Michigan, so it's kind of the same thing. And, you know, I think so many times I can, I can focus on what's right here and what's in front of me, and I can see that I can manage it. And then when you look up at a mountain and then you see the sky and you just kind of keep looking, you're like, no, nah, I don't have this yeah. at all. Yeah. It's so yeah. fast. Yeah. And you, you were pointing out, like, just this little tiny yeah. speck. Don't know what's going on. I think it's majestic and grander. It, it feels majestic, <coughs> all powerful, majestic. I don't know. Majestic. Grand. The, yeah. Grandeur. Yeah, they're huge. Uh, I mean, they're huge and ancient, and they came because the earth cleaved in some strong, way. Strong, very strong. Yeah. But Anybody I also about? would like to make a distinction between a mountain right and a big hill, <laughs> rolling hills. Because when I was in Israel, to me those weren't mountains. I'm northerners. They were hills. They were big hills. I mean, I'm not that well versed in Wisconsin, but there are more. We're pretty flat here in the Midwest, yeah. But but more like a, a, what do they call them? Kettles and moraines? Yeah. Well, even in the song, it says, Harim and Givaot. Harim are really high. And Givaot really is much translated more as hills, but they're put as parallels in the text. So, yeah, right, in the land of Israel, they have, there are some mountains and there are hills. Yeah. I remember hiking in the, in the Galilee, and we saw we had to, be to uh, go to the other side, and we could see it, and you go and you go down, and all of a sudden there's another mountain in right. between, and right. just, it was so, I mean, exhausting. Yeah, you, thought, yeah, you yeah. think you're getting there, so yeah. yeah. Right. You know, um, just, uh, 
commenting on what the two ladies said there about feeling sort of almost disoriented, but I think there's a vast difference in the mountain areas where yes. I've spent a lot of time of seeing and looking. Uh -huh. um, and it's all very well to take in this wide-angle view and everything is there, but I think what happens when I'm in the mountains is I'm looking for the detail of the landscape in contrast to another part of that mountain. Uh -huh. And you see this in countries like Iceland, for example. I'm going there this summer. Yeah. Where you see the glaciers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, if you take the road over the mountains, it's about the same. Uh, it's as bad as um, North Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think there's a question of distinguishing between detail and uh, expanse. All right, so some of it is Vaisa Enab, lifting up the eyes. Okay, but also Moriata, the sense of what you're focusing on and what you look at, because the visual information you, you may be getting might be hard to differentiate, too overpowering, how to kind of get your depth perception. So this is the real, this is really the first mountain in the Torah. So just one other thing about it. If we were to say like Moriah as this place, as this landscape that you go to that's up a mountain, in some ways brings together all of these experiences of lifting up, looking, focus, an overwhelming feeling, a lack of perception in some way, and yet some really um, amazing experience of grandeur, of your smallness and your bigness. All of those things are tied up from the, in this very first encounter that Abraham has at Moriah. Um, and if you ever go like, well, what was it that we talked about? Just remember that inside the word Moriah is awe, fear, and vision. Inside the letters of the words Moriah. Re'iya means to see. Yira means means awe, and awe in Hebrew is like awesome days, days of awe, awesome and scary. Think of Yom Kippur. So just, all you have to do is remember like what the word Moriah has inside of it, and you can, and you can recover this feeling of, oh, mountains in the Torah. All right, Sam. Can I add one little thing? Yeah. yeah. Um, when I go hiking, a lot of times I'm just looking down because I don't want to fall off the mountain. <laughs> and then suddenly I'll remember to stop and look around me. <laughs> Have you all done that? Yes. And, and when That's Abraham, you saw Enav, I mean, I think about him lifting his eyes and I'm thinking he must have stopped for a minute. <laughs> so he didn't. Yeah. So there, you, there's that heightened feeling because you are looking down mostly, yeah. <laughs> so you don't kill yourself. Well, this is, um, Sam, what were you going to say? Yeah. There is an earlier mention of mountain. Where? Noah. Oh, that's true. That's true. He, he, he lands on the mountain. Yeah. yeah. But there's no descriptions about that mountain. It's just sort of like it's, a... But it's called a mountain. I, I you're right. You're right. It's not actually called a mountain. No, it's not. It's not. It's and this, I have a photo of our landscape. Right. You're, right. you're right. It is called our... You're right. He says go up, and we think it was a mountain. Yeah, it's this Eretz Moria. It's yeah, this it's landscape Eretz, of Moria yeah. to the mountains. So thank you. I stand corrected. The uh, the bump stop, the the arc lands on a mountain when the water comes down. So, but there's not much more about the mountain experience no, there. Called, so yeah. It's called yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, now I also want one of the other things. Rabbinic literature makes a lot about for all of you hikers the three days that Abraham and Yitzchak are walking. They're hiking for three days, and you have to. So that's a, maybe we have to do another class on hiking. I just want to, <laughs> we can Why do this. Why do it on driving instead? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hiking, but you also want to like, what were they looking at? What were they talking about? Did Isaac know where he was going? Because we're not going to read this part, but this is the mountain where Abraham is almost on the precipice of, I'm using that word with intention, on the precipice of offering up his son until the angel says, no, don't do it, because now I know that you have faith in me, God. 
God and that everything is fine. All right. So the encounter that Abraham has here is frightening, death-like, intense, all of those pieces. So this mountain also has to do with that. So this first location, this landscape, has a little death in it, inside of it. And I want, to, I want you to hold on to that because some of these other mountains also do. So now I want to jump ahead to Mount Sinai, okay? Since Maria just brought up all this other stuff. You're right, Ararat. Um, Exodus 19. Everybody's favorites. I should have brought my rock collection. I have a mount, I have a rock from Mount Sinai. It does say mountain. It does say mountain for? It does say mountain. Uh, about Adonai Yireh, and then on the Mount of the Lord, there is vision. So what? All right. So it, it is a mountain. Specific. But look what. But look what he names it. Adonai Yireh. Yeah, Adonai Yireh. So that it comes to it, first, it's the Eretz Moriah. Go to this location, and at the end, after the encounter, thank you, Liz. At the end, it is named as this is the place of vision, sight, awe. Right. So something happens to him on that mountain. He sees <coughs> something. Something. Okay. This, this Parsha is full of Vayera. Vayera, the Parsha begins with the word seeing. So th th this whole Parsha is all about vision. That's another class. That's a Parsha class. All right. So much to cover. Hmm? So much. Okay. Exodus 19. After they've been through Egypt and they've come through the water that splits. We're not going back there, but you can think about that. Okay. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone forth from the land of Egypt. By the way, Metsar, the word Mitzrayim, Metsar means straight. Tsar, a narrow place. It means a, a place that squeezes you. Okay. On that very day, they entered the wilderness of Sinai. Having journeyed from Rephidim, they entered the wilderness of Sinai. And I look again. Look at this. Vayavo Midbar Sinai. Once again, where he's going to go up a mountain, but we have another Midbar Sinai, this desert, this undifferentiated area of Sinai. So again, we've got like these movements into landscapes first start out in this very undifferentiated way until the focus of what is the place. Like Philip's talking about, there's a difference between sight and focusing your vision. I hadn't thought about this before, thank you, is that the, the, how the Torah is setting this up is that we're, we are some going through, you're coming into this Midbar, this undifferentiated, it's deserty, 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 its name is Sinai, and now, right, uncover the well. Focus, your, focus in on what it is that's going to happen here. And now we said, and they camp, see the word machaneh, all of Israel in one verb. Israel camps. Sham Yisrael, neged hahar, across from, neged hahar. And um, the English can't really get the, it can't, English can't, you don't say encamped against or across. The word neged in Hebrew has this interesting connotation of ezer kenegdo, his help meet, something that is against you, that's opposing you. So there's a sense of this um, encounter language, something that's over here and something that's over here. So they're, they are they are encounter the mountain, they're across from the mountain, against the mountain. Moshe Allah el halokim. He goes up, goes up the mountain. To God, and God calls him from the mountain. So it's now it's confusing because we have an image of Moses going up the mountain, 
and now God calling to him from the mountain. So if I were to ask you to draw that right now, it would be a little complicated. We would probably all draw Moses sort of like up a little bit, but not too far, right? Right. Okay. Well, it could be halfway up. It's still too halfway far. Halfway up, right. Enough. Well, we've got this, you know, what's up with Minha from the mountain, from the mountain house. So we've got this, again, this locomotion or this movement that's also fuzzy. It's because it's trying to put into words an encounter that really can't be put into human words. What does it mean that God's going to come down from the mountain? What is that? We can't put that into real human language. So you better tell all of them. We have to read this because my one of my favorite lines in the Torah. Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and declare to the children of Israel, you, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And I have bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to me. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Indeed, all the earth is mine, but you shall be mamlechet kohanim v'goy kadosh. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you'll speak to the children of Israel. So we have this interesting conversation, okay, whether Moses can, is up there, but this interesting conversation God is speaking. Now God, Moses goes back, seems to go back and talk to the elders, tells them what God said, and they say, okay, we're in. And the Lord said, I'll come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak to you and trust you after. Moses reported the people's words, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and say, he basically says, don't get near the mountain. Stay away, stay away. Do laundry, stay pure, just get, okay, don't go near the mountain. Get ready for the third day. We have another three-day period of time, don't we? This, I think, is really interesting. You, there's these notions of one, two, three, one, two, three days of walking, one, two, three days until this landscape is going to also uh, engender some kind of experience. So you're like, what were they doing for three? Nobody had that much laundry, okay? What were they doing for that three-day period? To me, is very enigmatic, all right? <clears throat> Let them be ready for the third day. So, vahayu nechonim layom God's going to come down before the eyes of all the nation, Al Har Sinai upon the mountain. I don't know, we've been talking about distorted vision, how you're standing in a mountain and a mountain, and you can't see what's up there. So now I wonder, like, what is it that God is saying they're going to see your experience? Already the text, even before they get to the actual experience, it's setting us up to realize that perception on this perception coming down from a mountain or in the mountains is hard to, perception is not clear. The experience itself is an overpowering, unclear experience. And, and I'm, I'm going to come down the whole man al harsina, on the mountain. And then he says, v'higbalta eta amsaviv. You've got to make some boundaries around the mountain. Okay. Be careful. Don't go up the mountain or touch it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Beast or man, he shall not live. And then, when the rams, the shohar starts to sound, they may go up. They may go up on the mountain. Now, if I were in his wife, I'd like, not me. I'm not going up there. Okay, all right. And that's basically what happens because they go like, uh-uh, Moses, it's too much for us. You go. All right. And look on the third day. Look, you have to imagine this. On the third day, as morning dawned, there was thunder and lightning and a dense cloud upon the mountain. Now, anybody who's ever biked or hiked in a mountain, when you see that kind of weather. You don't go up on the mountain in a loud blast of a horn. And the people who were in the camp trembled, trembled. I'll say, okay, 
Vayecherad kol ha'am. Do you see the word tremble? This is the same word as charedim that we see to define certain parts of the Jewish community. Charedim, tremblers. This word comes. This language comes from here. Vayecherad. Um, and Moses leads the people out of the camp. So this neged, this encounter, he's leading them towards the mountain, and they take their place. But tachtit hahar, tachtit means at the foot of, but it also means tachat means under. Now there's a beautiful midrash in the Talmud that talks about what did God really do? Picked up the mountain over their heads, and they're standing underneath it. Right? And it's really interesting because God says basically, if you accept the Torah, okay, and if you don't, boom, I'm going to drop the, that mountain on top of you. So that the acceptance of the, of the Ten Commandments, it, very, it causes a lot of interpretations. But what does that mean? We were coerced into taking it because basically we're under the mountain? Well, yes, yeah, sort of. Okay. Now, the mountain was, all, it was in smoke for the Lord to come down upon it in fire. The smoke rose like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole, do kilns smoke? I guess too, I guess. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. And the whole mountain trembled violently. In the language of, okay, the blare of the horn grew louder and louder. The Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord, what is it? God comes down on the mountain, to the, to the peak, to the top of the mountain. He calls Moshe, and then Moshe goes up. So now we see that to the peak of the mountain, Moses is going up to the top. And then God says, go down, tell the people not to break through to gaze, lest they perish. The priests who come near, stay here, lest the Lord break out. But Moses said, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us. I remember to hear like God says, tell them not to come up. Well, God, you told us not to come up. They're not coming up. Tell them not to come up. No, 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 they're not coming up. So you have this... Interesting, the encounter here between, it's almost as if God says, tell them not to come up. Jonas says, God really wants them to kind of try to come up there a little bit. No, no, we're not coming up. That sense of this landscape has this kind of um, uh, tension and uh, energy inside of it. Go down, let the priests, okay, um, lest they break out. And Moses went down to the people and spoke to them, okay. So Moses goes up way and then gets set down and goes up and gets set down and goes up and gets set down. Yeah. What so now when we we thought about Rebecca and the energy when she's about to do something. A landscape brings an energy. You also Moses is not a young guy here. Okay. He's not as old as he's gonna be at the end of the book. But but uh, you know, he's eighty. Right? He's eighty because he dies at 120, 40 years after this, and up and down and up and down and up and down. So you again see this some kind of um, unnatural uh, energy that he has. I, don't know what I, I look at this, see a metaphor um, for all of us in our relationship to God uh -huh. because I think we go up and down. And I think sometimes we bring down God with us and sometimes we ascend to God. Right. And I, so yeah. the movement here. To me, speaks yeah. of the spiritual yeah. movement yeah. of our yeah. existence in relationship to God. There's something ironic that even in the moment we're like, okay, I'm giving you the Ten Commandments. It feels <coughs> like it's like, okay, boom, this is what you're supposed to do. It feels like there's not any negotiation at all, especially if you're underneath the mountain, that there is this flux and movement. It can become a movement of, of metaphor for that kind of dynamic relationship. Even at the moment when it feels most like, I'm giving you these meets vote and you'd better do them. Okay, that there is this up and down quality. Nice. Well, good. 
All right, so we're not going to, everybody knows what happens on the mountain. Okay? But in the following Parsha, Moses and the, the leaders do go up to the mountain again, and they basically, they do have a vision of God up on the mountain that looks like sapphire, and they eat and drink and they don't die. So there is this community, it's, like, have, it's like Ravinia. They have a picnic and don't die. They have a, um, um, so Sinai is an interesting mountain because like Moriah, there is this almost death. Like don't come or you're going to die, don't come or you're going to die. Or it specifies that they do come up and they don't die. So mountains, these landscapes are, are they have this, um, the underbelly of all of these landscapes is, is the, the potential for them to be uh, fatal for people. I guess I would say, which is, we know about mountains. You don't have to live in Nepal to know that. So. Um, okay. Um, let's go on to Numbers 20. This is actually the Parsha this week. Numbers chapter 20. I'm going to get to as many of these as I can. So. is not this week's Parsha, it's next week's Parsha. Okay. So chapter 20 is a big one for anything having to do with landscape, because at the beginning of chapter 20 is Miriam's death. Miriam, who's responsible for the well that followed the Israelites around the desert, and after she dies in this chapter, the people are like, we're thirsty, we're thirsty, we want water. And this is the famous moment, and how does Moses provide water for the people? He whacks the, the, uh, the, the rock with water. I guess a rock is a piece of mountain. See, he whacks it in some way, and that's when God says, no, 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 you're not going into the land. You're not going into the land. Okay. So this is a critical piece, and it has something somehow connects to Miriam's death. And then in the next part, in line 22, they come to this place, setting out from Kadesh. They, they come to Hor-Hahar. Hor-Hahar. Now, you can look at the translation. It says Mount Hor, right? But when I say Hor Hahar, you can be a poet or not. You can hear a Hor Hahar, mountain of mountains, or the mount, mountain. The essence of the mountain. The essence of the mountain, or the, the essence, or mount, mount. You wouldn't name a mountain, mountain. It's like naming a dog, dog, okay? Mm -hmm. No, no, but Hor Hahar. So, I just I want to say this because the heap is also indicating this sort of again this this landscape that has an ambiguity to it. Okay. The, 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 the style of the Hebrew, like uh, when you said, we repeat sometimes where we say go quickly. We said right. maher maher. Right. Or leat Right. So. So. Yeah. So go to that mountain. So it's like putting it in italics bold. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's also used word for word. King James version translates verily. Verily, oh, I like that. Verily, yes. Right, when, because the Hebrew just the, the strengthens the the word by repeating it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then English doesn't do that. So yeah. Yeah. Hor hahar. Mountain verily. Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The the mountain of mountains or this, but I I I the thing is this this essential. I mean, an essential like in the philo I'm sorry, Phyllis isn't here. The philosophical way. Okay, that there's something essential. In the same way that Moriah is this landscape of vision, or Sinai is this landscape of, we didn't even name that landscape, landscape of, how would we, no, encounter, tension, up and down, dynamic, thunder, lightning, speaking, 
fear, all those things of Sinai and law. And we always talk about revelation, which probably revelation is the word that holds all of those experiences. See, close, receive, connect. Okay, all of those pieces, because, you know, just thinking about the law came down, <coughs> seems flat to me about what that experience was like. And now we're getting to another, like, hor ha har, some other essential mountain. And what happens here? Let Aaron be gathered to his kin, for he is not to enter the land that I assigned to the Israelite people, because you disobeyed my commandments about the waters at Merivah. Merivah means it's quarrel, by the way, struggling. Take Aaron and Eleazar. Do you want to say something? Yeah. Oh, okay, and bring them up to this essential mountain, Horhahar. Strip Aaron of his vestments and put them on his son Elazar. There Aaron shall be gathered unto the dead. So what's going to happen here? This is, a, this is actually a, quite a beautiful and poetic description of an end of a life. Moses did it, and I want everyone to notice too that they're walking up the mountain together, three of them. There's also this, this you know, putting the human activity and energy and experience into these landscapes. Moses did as the Lord commanded, they ascended, and all the people are watching in the sight of the whole community. So you want to imagine that. The people are again standing, in front of their eyes, they are seeing these three going up. Moses takes off the priestly vestments. Vayal b'shem otan et Elazar beno, and puts the clothing on his son. Vayama Aharon sham barosh hahar, and Aharon dies there at the top, at the head of the mountain. Vayered Moshe Elazar min hahar, and then they come down from the mountain. It's very pristine. So. It seems unmistakable in this that um, that the mountain is located physically closer to heaven which is in all cultures, you know, you, you build a tall building or you, or you go up to the mountain to get close to heaven. Right. So, I mean, that's a great uh, example of it because he goes up as high as he can before he dies. To get him to go. Yeah. And his name, of course, is Aharon. Oh, very nice. What is it? Aharon, he's got Aharon, he's got mountain in his name. Yeah, that's nice. Good read there, good read there, so, yeah. It's also, there's something about, I mean, that the, the public of, of watching this is kind of an interesting thing, too. I don't even know what to make of the fact that they're watching it because so, so much loving. of the Kohen part. Yeah. It's so loving and supporting. They're, they're bearing him up so he doesn't die alone. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. And there are also there are wonderful midrashim about how Moses prepares, which we're not going to read, but how Moses lets Aharon know that they're going to be doing this. Um, which is also there. I mean, these are there's your, these are very elegiac. And this is uh, Lois. You're smiling. Yeah. Oh, elegiac. Elegiac. How do we define elegiac? Like elegy. In praise of. It's a suffering. You sing in praise of. Right. That's usually gone, right? Right. Elegy is often a. It's a. a we were talking last week about forms of poetry. An elegy is often like somebody like um, uh, something poetic that's like a hespade for somebody who's no longer longer so what's here. A eulogy? Uh, I wonder if sure, elegy and eulogy. But I think elegy, the, yeah. The elegy is, is the poetic. Yeah, is a poet is elegy the poetic form of eulogy? Okay, so you logos means to speak well of. Yeah. <laughs> There's also I never something thought. quite beautiful about the fact that he sees that his son takes over the work that he's doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And that, I think, is, is uh, yeah. very generous. So in this, in this landscape, in this landscape, this mountain of mountains landscape, this kind of transmission, right. letting go transmission, of, exactly. grieving, compassion, loss, because they're, they're they, and then when they come down the mountain, then the people knew that he died, and then they wail for 30 days. Okay, we get shloshim, we get the 30-day mourning period in Judaism from this place. All of, this is definitely a side, all of Jewish mourning rituals, unlike other things we do, like pots and pans is an interpretation of something in the Torah, but our rituals that we do in round death all come from specific things that our ancestors did in the Torah. And the 30-day mourning period comes here right from Maharam. So. And I guess I would say that, to me, corresponds with elegy, that I think of a eulogy as speaking about a person who has died, and the elegy is sort of the response of the mourner. Ah, very nice. Usually there's something about, I'm missing this about you. You yeah. were this to me. You were... Yeah. But you can have an elegy for, I mean, like, yeah. You, there's a lot of it for soldiers who have died. You're right. It's sort of a... A retrospective later. It's not necessarily an in the moment. <laughs> yes. My rights not necessarily an yes, in the moment right. kind of um, uh, thing. I don't know. I'll look up. Uh, yeah. So. Who's leading Shiva? Pardon? Shiva is at the very end of. Uh, this is just Shloshim. This is just Shloshim is here. Not Shiva's not here. So. Okay. Okay. But while we're doing that, jump ahead to Deuteronomy 27. How much time have I got? Because I want to get to these. Oh, about eight minutes. Pardon? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. All right, let's do one more. So let's skip to Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy 27 is an interesting. Just one thing. I, like, I remember knowing this about Aaron. When I think of his name, it's, it ends with the Rangan And the idea is that he was the epitome of loving kindness. Nice. And that it's, it's, it's the idea of drawing that down. Oh, very nice. The, 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 right. Yeah. So that when you're saying that the name is with a mountain, like I never thought of that before. It's right, the, the that, he, yeah. yeah, his flow comes down, yeah. Right. He also gives the blessing, because a priestly blessing is something where the energy that's coming from God yeah. is drawn through the, through the Kohanim to the people. Right. He's a conduit in that way, yeah. And that you know about, mm. if you know there's a mountain, you also know there's a valley. Oh, nice. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't come without the other. Yeah, and it feels something, there's so something to receive it. I love that. I mean, when, when we did the thing about the flowing and the receiving, yeah. when you see a mountain, yeah. what you're also right. saying is in this, in this right. landscape, in this Eretz, right. when you see a mountain, you know there's right. a valley. There's something where it's going to flow right. into. You don't get one without the other. Yeah. Beautiful. Just also one thing when you were said at the beginning when you said skepticism and spirituality, it's like you say that they go hand in hand. It's also that idea and that that is what, like, I guess the ultimate a lot of texture. Ah, I love that. Because yeah. you're a fabric person, I like to use texture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or what you just saying, like dynamic, and that things are, or what I call theology, the first class, which you just said, is that these things playing off one against the yeah. other is what creates, right. what creates. So. Well, it, it has to be all of it, because if it's not all of it, it's nothing. Yeah. Right. Well, I, just, I just think that these are, these are all examples. Of, uh, there's not a lot of yeah, well, if you take a picture, you don't have a black and white picture. If you don't have either the black or the white, you'll have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. All black, yeah. unless it's different shades of black. 
All right, so take a look at Deuteronomy 34. What happens in Deuteronomy 27 is that while they're on their way into the land, God makes the people make a covenant. He said, do you see those two mountains up over there? Aval and Grizim are the name of these two mountains. Well, we're going to make a deal right here. If you follow the laws, you're going to have blessings. And if you don't, those two mountains are here to testify that there will be curses upon you. Okay. Um, so it's an interesting use of mountains as a, as a reminder to people that when you see those mountains, this is what you should think of. But let's look at Deuteronomy 34. Why are we looking at elegiac mountains or elegies? Okay. The last <laughs> chapter of the Torah. And I'll tell you about the other two, and I want to make sure to look at this midrash. So. Moses went up from the steps of Mount Moab to Mount Nebo, to the summit of Pisgah. Opposite Jericho, the Lord showed him all the whole land. On this mountain, on top of it, because Moses is getting ready to die, we know because the book's coming to a close. He's not <laughs> going in the land. God told him. This is one. This is a landscape that provides a vista of what cannot be seen, what cannot be accomplished. I'm going to say that He's showing Moses what he is not going to be able to. That the landscape that he will not enter is what he is being shown here. All of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev, the plain is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said, "This is the land." This is the landscape that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This to your seed I will give it. You can see it with your eyes. There's the word Moriah again. You can see it with your eyes. But there you're not going to cross over. Over. Just like Ivri crossing over bodies of water. All of that language comes together here again. You can see it, but you're not crossing over. You can have the vision, but you're staying here. And then he dies. He's buried in the valley. Sharon was right. He's buried in the valley in the land of near Beth Peor, and no one knows his day. He dies on the mountain. I never paid attention to this. He dies on the mountain, but he's buried in the valley, and no one knows his burial place to this day. He was 120. They wail for him, they mourn for him, and all those pieces, and then talks about um, 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 <clears throat> Moses in some way. Now, there's a beautiful, beautiful poem by the Hebrew poet Rachel, mm. who was one of the early Chalutzim. She lived, she came to Israel, I think the first or second Aliyah. She contracted, to, she lived on uh, Kibbutz Deganya, or Kineret? Yeah. Kineret. Maybe Kineret. And she contracted tuberculosis, and so she, was, and so she couldn't really be a very effective Chalutza, uh, she wasn't a good worker, so they didn't let her stay there. But she's very famous for her poetry, and in the cemetery, in the, in the there's a beautiful. Her grave is there, and her she wrote beautiful poetry. And there's a book, and it's attached to the grave, and you can see people come there all the time and read her poetry. She's very, very well loved, and one of her most famous poems is called Nevo, and she talks about this mountain as a metaphor for life. The whole ish yesh etan nevo shelo, right? Every person has a nevo in their life something mm -hmm. that they want to accomplish and never get to accomplishing. So I, I think it's like really important to identify Niveau and also like move forward into other art forms, particularly poetry, that capture the, it's so sad when he dies. And by the way, we read this in the middle of Simchas Torah, with all the hoopla going on, the drinking and the, well, my synagogue, the drinking and the singing and the dancing is when Moses dies, because life is like teeming with life and then he dies. But this unaccomplished, the unaccomplished in life, I think, is there is no better word than niveau. 
to um, sort of kind of put that into metaphor. Yeah. I was really struck by the phrase haraiticha bainecha because it's it's I don't know the the grammar of it, but I shall depict for you in your eyes. There's such a very it, it's again that du- saying it twice, doubly active. So it's like I'm going to give you a slideshow. You know, they talk yeah. about how before you die, you see your life flash before you. Yeah, lovely. But, exactly but what it is. I see this, I mean, as an artist, I see this as potentiality. I mean, this is what drives me every day, honestly, is Love it. Um, how much can I, how many paintings, how many things can I make? And it's not for quantity. It's to, I, I, I'm sure you can all relate to this. You want to, you want to be the conduit. You want to produce what you can in your lifetime until you drop and you can't anymore. And then the show goes on without you. That little slideshow that God puts in the inside of your eyes. Yeah. That's just a yeah. beautiful phrase. These are all elegies. What does Niveau mean? Niveau? There's a mount, there's an Eretz Nov in the beginning of Genesis. It's like one of these lands that are unable. I don't know, it's not really a... It's always good to have Nessie here because she's like, eh, it's not a Hebrew word. It's not a Hebrew word. It's like I have a walking dictionary right here. So yeah, no. it's yeah, it's not a word that like no, the, other words, the other words. The other words, the other words, you can open up the source for, it, but it's not a, it's not very helpful. That doesn't mean in Midrash there's not lots of places they don't try to figure it out. She will know what it is. Okay, good. Now, quickly, Song of Songs, one seventeen twenty nine. I will tell you the other ones on, in Kings. What we're not going to look at is in Kings. A few things happen. Mount Carmel is the place where Elijah, this is a, a fantastic story. I hope you'll all look it up. Where Elijah, who's also a big mountain climber, <laughs> he goes up Mount Carmel and all these other um, uh, priests of these other Baals. And he says, come on, light your fires, light your fires, see what happens. And nothing happens. And then, <laughs> boom, a cloud comes down and Elijah kills them all. And God's, and he gets all the Israelites to go, I don't know who Elohim. And there's a, to this day in Mount Carmel, there's a statue of this. And there is a cave. And there's a cave, right? There's also, on, in the second reference in Kings is, is um, Elijah has to run away from Jezebel, the wicked queen. And he, and he walks and walks and walks into the desert. And he also, Horev, which is the other word for Mount Sinai, also has a vision of God, where God's not in the thunder and not in the lightning God is in a still small voice mm-hmm. so these are beautiful texts about encounters on a mountain also where the contrast to Sinai for Elijah is Moses experiences this noise and this thunder Elijah experiences God in the same mountain in a quiet still voice which again is also this these different modes of experiencing skepticism spirituality I guess of these different pieces but song of songs hark my beloved here he comes you see the word harim and gvaot like we did in the song, okay? My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. They're mountain-jumping animals. There he stands behind our wall, gazing through the window, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke to me. Come, my fair one, come away. For the blow, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Blossom has appeared in the land. The time of pruning has come. The song of turtle dove is heard in our land. Arise, we'll go. Arise, my darling, my fair one, come away. This beautiful springtime poetry. This is read on, around Pesach time. Right? But look at the Midrash. <clears throat> Hark, my beloved, there he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved's like a gazelle. Here's the quote from the Torah. Rabbi Isaac said, 
Knesset Yisrael came before the Holy One and said, my beloved is a gazelle. Just as a gazelle leaps from mountain to mountain and from valley to valley, look at that, Sharon, from tree to tree and from thicket to thicket and from fence to fence, so the Holy One leapt from Egypt to the Red Sea and from the Red Sea to Sinai. From Sinai, he leaps to the future redemption. So they're looking at Shir Hashirim and reading it. Who is this beloved? Here's my beloved. That's the sweetheart. That's Israel. And who's the gazelle? That's God. So they're reading this poetry metaphorically as the experience of the Jewish people at Sinai. In Egypt, they saw him going through the land as a warrior. In Israel, they saw the great hand. And in Sinai, they saw him as the Lord spoke with you face to face. The Lord comes from Sinai. They're quoting all these places where they have this encounter. Now look at the other hand. He stands behind the wall. Look at my husband, my sweetheart stood behind the wall, gazing through the window. You just want to watch this because this is this is the adept hand of Midrash, reading in careful and poetic, interesting ways. Who is that? He stand. Who's what's the wall? The wall is the mountain of Sinai, as it says. On the third day, the Lord will come down. He looks through the window, as it says in Exodus 19. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. He peers through the lattice, meziz, as it says in Exodus, Mitzitz. the Lord spoke, Mitzitz. the Lord spoke. What did he say to me? I am the Lord thy God. Now this is tricky, and it would be fun to, to, to play this out, and I see you all looking down saying, like, Jane, don't ask us what this means. You're looking like, don't ask me what this means, all right? But the Midrash is taking this poem, this love poem, uh, from Song of Songs, and it's reading it as another expressive way of trying to talk about what was Sinai like. God's like leaping around the landscape. God leaps around the landscape in the Torah. Why? To get close to the loved one and peeking at them and calling them, come my beloved, sweetheart, come closer to me. That what we're talking about, these dynamic movements, the rabbis and the Midrash see as these love encounters between God and Israel on this landscape. And so they'll always try to read one landscape against another landscape and say, when you're reading Shira Shirim, you should really be thinking, you should have Exodus 19 right next to it, because it's the same landscape. Uh, and that's just, uh, there's a whole book of uh, Midrashim on Song of Songs, and it really, this is, the, this is the underlying assumption of it. So, All right. Um, let's do the second poem. The other one, Nellie Sachs, who won a, a, um, she won a Nobel Prize for her poetry. Did she win the same year as Agnon? I think that she also went, but it's about Sinai. But the second one is an Amichai poem. It's called Life. <clears throat> like high mountain climbers who set up base in the valley at the foot of the mountains and another camp and camp number two and camp number three at various heights on the road to the peak and in every camp they leave food and provisions and equipment to make their last climb easier and to collect on their way back everything that might have helped them as they descend. So I leave my childhood and my youth and my adult years in various camps hmm. with a flag on every camp. I know I shall never return, but to get to that peak with no weight, light, light. Nice. Yeah. Who said interesting? You said interesting? Yeah. Why? Your baggage. your baggage. I think you keep your memories. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Because you've got your flags there. 
um, and you're getting lighter and lighter. So I think you're leaving everything. So that when when you at last go, there's nothing to hold you back to Earth, including your memory. Yeah. It's just you then become a spirit. Like a Haron who was literally divested. He was yeah. divested yeah. of his vestments. Yeah. Yeah. You can imagine each way you could do a beautiful path, each way along the path. Okay, leave your shoes over here. Mm -hmm. Leave yeah. the leave the linen breeches over mm -hmm. here. Leave this over like here. Leave this over there. Yeah. What? What? It's like my bedroom. You like your bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, but each but each step of the or the three day walk. The three-day walk along the hike. Yeah. You were asking about the bike trip and getting up hills with all this weight on our bikes. At one point, I actually lost one of my panniers, which had my cosmetics and other things. Because you needed your lipstick on this trip. <laughs> no, I, I didn't need the cosmetics. And it was like, uh, it's that moment when Bill Bryson is taking the Appalachian Trail right. and he throws the coffee cup Right, right, right. Because to go up the mountain to ascend, you have to make yourself light. Right, so right. Yes. It's, I guess it's also, as you're talking about, it's the physical experience of weighting. You feel the weightiness of your physical body. Not so when you're encountering elevation, more, whoa, more than, this might appear in a Devar Torah, more than um, when you're walking in flat space. That's when you feel, literally the weight of feel yourself. the weightiness of your body and what, and what weighs you down when you're moving upwards. You, what, yeah, and what can you get rid of? We should break. All right, Do you want to tell break. us a little about the painting before we break? And we'll take a quick break because I've got lots of art to show you. I don't know if many of you may be familiar with Shalom of Tzfat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And he depicted the scenery from the Bible. Uh, he was really a watch uh, repairman. Oh, and then he decided to... Um, to do sculptures, but what he did, he did two-dimensional. He would cut it and then make them. So there was an artist in Israel, Yossel Bergner, maybe you're familiar with him. Yossel befriended him and said, you're not a sculptor, you're a painter. And he got him gouache color, which he mixed with egg white. And, but this is about, uh, he has quotation from the Bible. And Abraham told, told his servant, put your hand on my yarech. And, and we call this yarech. But there's a question of what he touched and where he put his hand, because right. he said, those who came from Yarech Abraham, yeah. so maybe he put his hand on his penis and, and, and swore. Yeah. Put your hand. And he said, uh, and swear, swear that you don't take my, uh, right. my son and wife from the Knaanite. And he, he swears. Yeah. And, he, and, and he says, and the, and the slave, and, and the slave took Ten camels from his master camels, and all the um, best from his master, and he went to Aram Naharaim, the city of the home. And he write, those are the servants of Eliezer, and he has ten, ten uh, camels, yeah. and he says, Eliezer, those are the servants, etc. Thank you for bringing that in. And he painted a lot of the, he was very popular in the end, yeah. in, in the 60, end of the 60s, yeah. in the 70s. It was a show in Spethoskavit. Yeah. 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 Nice. Thank you, Nessia. So take a, take a quick break. Come right back. We'll look at some pictures. Should I? Pardon? Yeah.